U.S. authorities nabbed the accidental hero who stopped the WannaCry ransom attack and the increasing reliability of attribution. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. What you have done amounts to possibly saving lives? I wouldn't go that far. I mean, it's definitely saved some people some money, but whether it saved lives, only time would really tell. That's Marcus Hutchins, also known as Tech, speaking with the BBC. This past May, Hutchins was characterized as a hero, an accidental hero perhaps, for single-handedly defusing the WannaCry malware outbreak. But last week, federal authorities nabbed Hutchins, charged him with various crimes associated with a banking trojan. Hutchins' lawyer says his client is pleading not guilty. The judge set bail at $30,000 cash. Joining me to discuss Hutchins' case is Data Breach Today executive editor Matthew Schwartz. Hi, Matt. Hello, Eric. What's the backstory on Hutchins? Hutchins has been tracking malware for at least a few years. He works as a malware researcher and for a firm that provides related threat intelligence to the security community, as well as governments, including the U.S. government. He was reviewing the WannaCry malware when it came out. And I believe the day it came out through to the next day, he'd been awake and noticed there was a string in the malware that referred to a nonsensical domain name. He found that that domain name was not registered and decided that he would register it and see what happened. That turned out to have the beneficial effect of shutting down the ransomware's spread around the world. A lot of organizations and governments really have Hutchings to thank for helping blunt the WannaCry malware outbreak. It could have been much worse, but he was in the right time at the right place and did a lot of good. He ended up in Las Vegas. What happened there? He was in Las Vegas to attend the Black Hat and DEF CON annual information security conferences. And I think being feted a little bit for the contributions that he's made in the last few months. When he went to the airport to return home, however, he was arrested by the FBI. The detention became noticed by some of his friends in the security community who managed to ultimately track him down at an FBI field office. And before long, an indictment was circulating. It's a six count indictment against Hutchins, as well as an unnamed co-conspirator for alleged activities tied to a banking trojan. What are some of the particulars of the indictment? The indictment is largely concerned with the unnamed co-conspirator who allegedly advertised and sold, in at least one instance, for $2,000, a copy of a banking trojan called Kronos. This sale occurred on Alphabay, which is the recently shut down darknet marketplace. The FBI, together with international partners, shut down two darknet marketplaces, of which Alphabay was one, and they've presumably been going through all of the evidence and intelligence from those raids, which may have led in part to this indictment. But Hutchins is named in the indictment as having helped create the banking trojan. How is, let's call it, the good hacker community reacting to Hutchins' arrest? A lot of members of the community, especially people who know him and have worked closely with him, have reacted with incredible, immense surprise. They've also begun looking at the indictment. And while the indictment doesn't lay out the whole case that the feds will have against Hutchins and the unnamed co-conspirator, they have highlighted some apparent inconsistencies. Unlike some of the indictments that we see tied to criminals who get extradited from foreign countries to face charges relating to millions of dollars in profit from botnets and from malware that steals online banking credentials, this one feels much more lightweight. That isn't to say that the allegations may or may not be true, but the indictment accuses Hutchins of having created the Kronos banking trojan. 
When that banking trojan appeared in 2014, IBM noted that it had been found on a Russian cybercrime underground site. And a lot of security researchers think that it was developed by a Russian developer. Hence, the language in the indictment seems a little fuzzy if Hutchins has been accused of creating this. Now, it's possible that he distributed it somehow, but other legal experts have said it's not clear that distributing malware or even selling malware is illegal. Using the malware to commit a crime, such as stealing people's information or defrauding them, that appears to be more clear cut. But the security research community has often traded malware samples, which they need to do in order to see what attackers are doing, in order to design products to help people defend against those attacks, and in order to track these infections on a national and global level. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. When we return, we'll hear about the growing importance of indicators of attribution. If you know who the criminal is, then you can create a digital footprint of that hacker himself, and you can preempt the attack no matter what technique the hacker decides to use. This is the ISMG Security Report. ISMG's Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit Toronto, taking place on September 12th and 13th at the Delta Hotel, will feature Art Coviello, former CEO RSA Security, as the keynote speaker. This plus other subject matter experts from Visa, CA Technologies, Carnegie Mellon, and more will discuss key information security topics. Register today at events.ismg.io. Welcome back. Security industry is not out to get nation-state governments. That's not their job. They're out to get digital fingerprints that can help enterprises. That's Gartner Distinguished Analyst and Vice President Aviva Leighton. This week, Leighton is moderating a panel at the ISMG Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit in New York City. The panel's topic, moving from indicators of compromise to indicators of attackers. But will attacker attribution really help us? Joining me to answer that question is my ISMG colleague, Tracy Kitten. Tracy is ISMG Director of Global Events Content and Executive Editor of Bank Info Security. Welcome, Tracy. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. In preparation for this summit, you spoke with Leighton. For years, indicators of compromise stood as a key component of cyber defense. Now growing in importance are indicators of attribution. What's the difference between indicators of compromise and and indicators of attribution? Indicators of compromise are based on the tools and techniques that are used in an attack. So basically, you track and identify the malware that's used, the phishing attack that was used, and the PC or server, for instance, that was compromised, or maybe even the admin account that was compromised. Hacker attribution, on the other hand, is more about following the hacker, watching his or her behaviors. And to speak more on this, here is Lighten. Hackers launch multiple attacks with different techniques. If you know who the criminal is, then you can create a digital footprint of that hacker himself, and you can preempt the attack no matter what technique the hacker decides to use. That's important because tracking malware, for instance, is becoming increasingly less effective. Malware is widely sold in the underground, is mass produced and modified, and is no longer easily linked to a single hacker or cybercrime ring. The emergence of crimeware as a service, for instance, has helped to fuel this phenomenon. And here, Eric Leighton explains why indicators of attribution can help to provide a better cyber defense than indicators of compromise. You start taking down all the tools and techniques, they'll just keep coming up with new tools and techniques. But there's a finite number of criminals, even if that's tens of thousands, it's still not millions like there are technical techniques. You can stop 5,000 out of 100,000 criminals. You're much better off than stopping none of them. Leighton speaks of two types of hacker attribution. What are they? 
Eric, enterprises commonly follow the tools and techniques that we talked about earlier. Law enforcement, on the other hand, typically follows the criminals themselves by creating or establishing digital fingerprints for attacks that they can attach or tie an individual hacker or hacking group to. The private industry has the technology and the data that can help law enforcement make sense of these so-called digital fingerprints. And that's why it's so critical for the private sector to communicate with and share information with law enforcement private industry has all the data. They're the ones getting attacked. And if law enforcement has that information, they can build a better case and do richer forensic activity that lead them to the actual people that committed the crime. And Lighten says that once we get that digital fingerprint of hackers, we can then translate that information into machine language. We have to come up with some type of fingerprint. It's very similar to an indicator of compromise, but now it's an indicator of an attacker. And put those in firewalls and endpoint security systems and network analytics systems. And to the same places that we stop indicators of compromise today, we'll stop indicators of attackers. It really takes it up a level. So, Eric, I think this will be one of our summit's more engaging panels. Attribution is such a touchy topic. Five years ago, for instance, we wouldn't have even had this panel because most people believe that hacker attribution wasn't even important. Today, clearly, the situation and the beliefs out there are much different. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, Eric. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Legislation introduced in the U.S. Senate would, if enacted, help bolster the security of medical devices. The measure is known as the Medical Device Cybersecurity Act of 2017. And to discuss the legislation, I'm joined by Healthcare Info Security Executive Editor Marianne Kolbasak-McGee. Hi, Marianne. Hey, Eric. Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut introduced the bill. What does it do and why does he believe it's needed? Blumenthal characterizes the current state of medical device security as critical. He contends that without this legislation, insecure and easily exploitable medical devices would continue to put Americans' health and confidential personal information at risk. If enacted, the legislation aims to enhance medical device cybersecurity by requiring greater transparency of cyber defenses, securing and encrypting remote access connections, streamlining the process for for cyber patches and upgrades, and establishing a cyber emergency response team. How would Blumenthal or others know that these new requirements would work? One of the bill's provisions calls upon the Department of Homeland Security, in coordination with industry stakeholders, to create a so-called report card that describes a device's cyber capabilities, includes results from cyber risk assessments, mandates cyber testing prior to sale, and provides guidance for a product's secure use. What does the industry think of the legislation? Some medical device cybersecurity experts say that while not all the proposals are perfect and some are redundant to industry efforts already underway, the bill is generally helpful in spotlighting critical issues concerning cybersecurity of medical devices. Here's Kevin Fu, who is supportive of Blumenthal's bill. Fu is chief scientist of cybersecurity firm Verda Labs and is also director of the Archimedes Center for Medical Device Security. Security at the University of Michigan. He says the bill could get medical device makers to adopt best practices already in use by some, but not many manufacturers. So one of the more effective techniques I've found uh, across manufacturers is to get the security engineering much earlier into the manufacturing process. 
I've seen uh, one uh, large medical device manufacturer now including security in their what's called the design concept phase before even the requirements of the device are written, which is before the design has been created, which is before the implementation, which is before the deployment. Are other stakeholders backing the bill? Some are, yes. Billy Rios is a researcher and ethical hacker who focuses on medical device cybersecurity. And he says he particularly likes the bill's proposal that requires security testing before medical devices are released to the public. Rios says the bill will improve the overall cybersecurity hygiene of the ecosystem if it increases the number of organizations conducting tests. Still, Rio sees one key thing missing from the bill. There's no mention of penalties. Rio says vendors must face penalties if they ignore the requirements found in the bill. Thanks, Marianne. Thanks, Eric. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.